The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Good morning, Councilmember Scott Benson. Councilmember Frederick Hall III. Councilmember Letitia Johnson. Present. Councilmember Gabriela Santiago Romero. Council Councilmember Mary Waters. Present. Councilmember Angela Whitfield Calloway. Present. Councilmember Coleman Young II. Here. Council President Pro Tem James Tate. Council President Mary Sheffield. Present. You have a quorum present. All right. And if you can also note, um, Councilmember Benson um, is present as well. The clerk will so note. All right. Thank you. There being a quorum present, we are officially in session and kicking off our fiscal year 24 budget hearings. Uh, today we have slated four different budget hearings with our first one starting with the public lighting department. All of the various representatives that are here with us can please join us now at the table. Good morning. Yep, yep, that's fine. We'll start with the PLD and then go right into the PLA. Yep. Yep, it does. Or we can combine them if you want to. That's fine. Yep. All right. The clerk will note we've also been joined by President Pro Tem Tate. Good morning. The clerk will so note. All right. Thank you. All right. Before we start, uh, Mr. Corley, any remarks, any comments? Uh, good morning, Madam President, City Council. Does, just happy to start out a new budget season, so thank you. All right, all right, thank you. <laughs> all right, so the Public Lighting Department, the floor is yours. If you can just state your name and titles first and make sure your microphone is on. Just press the bottom of your microphone. There you go, yep. Well, good morning, John Primack, PLD, and I'm glad to be the first guy up here this year. Not, but okay, <laughs> but thank you for that. <laughs> Bo Taylor, Public Light. Good morning. I'm, good morning. I'm Janet Anderson. I'm the Chief Financial Officer of the Public Lighting Authority. Okay. Good morning, James Short, Agency CFO. Good morning, Daniel Voitelevich, OCFO assigned to Public Lighting Department. Whoever wants to start, go right ahead. Good morning. Uh, the Public Lighting Department supports the Public Lighting Authority as maintains and upgrades street light through the system. Uh, PLD owns and maintains hundreds of miles of underground conduit. Various communication companies rent conduit space and pay uh, attachment fees to the general fund. Our, our budget's pretty short, as you know, because in the last few years we have sort of uh, downsized because we're basically out of the electric business. So our total budget for 2023-24 is 18,000,000.8. The general fund part is 16.7. Revenue, $3.6 million. General fund contribution, $1.5. Our expenses were $9.4. That goes to PLA for street maintenance and admission cost. We spent approximately $6 million a year for street lights for the power. We have $2.7 million for contractual services. $900,000 for Miss Dig. $1.5 for Make Safe. 
approximately 200,000 for security and uh, material handlers. The good part about the PLD now is our revenue. We had revenue last year of $1.5 million for conduit rental through the city of Detroit. And our balance of revenue came from metal recovery. So last year we had a, we recovered approximately a million dollars for metal recovery. And this year we're on pace to go 1.3 million. Any questions or concerns? I have questions, I'm done. Thank you. Thank you. And we're gonna go straight to PLA so we can take them together. Okay. So our budget is drive. Okay. Um, our budget is actually derived by our board in uh, in May. So we uh, incorporate the city's uh, um, funding source into our budget longer term. Um, I'd like to review a little bit about what we've done in the past year. Some of the new things we're doing. Um, in the past year, we've obviously continued to respond to outages, to knockdowns, things of that nature. Um, one of the things we've integrated in and, and increased is our tree trimming capacity. Uh, we found that the overgrowth of the canopy is causing um, some, you know, inability for the lights to, 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 to do what they're supposed to do. Um, in addition to that, we've put together a long-term capital plan, or, or preventative maintenance plan, I should say, because it really does roll up under maintenance. Um, this is one of the bigger drivers uh, for why we brought on uh, Dr. Anderson to, to help with the CFO role, because in addition to that, she is putting together a long-term um, uh, maintenance plan. Uh, we did have a, a, a decent amount of reserves that we need to draw down on. Um, but we need to recognize that there's still a lot of work to do to keep the, the, the system uh, sustainable until the end of the bond period. So uh, issues such as replacement of wood poles, uh, further replacing fixtures that will burn out uh, before the end of the bond term. Um, what Janet has done is put together a plan to identify, and which we have, uh, all of the decrepit poles. Uh, as well as uh, put a schedule in place to replace all the remaining fixtures so there isn't, uh, so we aren't at risk of another outage. Um, what we are doing in addition to that, to somewhat standardize the system, um, we are working to find some external funding sources to, um, to make, the th make the system in places where it doesn't look uh, standard, more standard. So uh, we may have some arms that are uh, out of alignment. We may have some different fixtures on the same road. We want to go through these corridors and beautify the, uh, the area um, where, where it didn't get the initial treatment. Um, some of the city got brand new lights and poles in 2013. Other parts of the city uh, were still co-locating lights with uh, the PLD electric distribution system, which was being used. Now that it's not being used, uh, as of, I believe, two or three months ago, uh, we have the ability to go in and uh, do some additional work, um, at least aesthetically, on those areas where we were co-located with, uh, with the city's power lines before. Um, in addition, we've really put a lot of effort in the last year into our uh, plant program. It's a PLA Nurturing Talent. It's a pre-apprenticeship program where we groom uh, young Detroiters for uh, ascension into a more formal skilled trade. Gives them the opportunity to find out whether they want to be in the profession. Uh, gives them an opportunity to work with people in the profession for a year. And uh, we've, we've achieved a good deal of success with that. Um, but I think it rolls up into a bigger picture uh, with our contractors. We've um, encouraged them to uh, not only work on the pre-apprenticeship program, but to hire Detroiters. And you know, I believe we're right around 60, 65 percent. But I think there's a broader picture because in instances where they're not able to hire Detroiters, they're attracting minorities that are not from Detroit. So you're building this capacity 
and you're giving people a place where they feel comfortable to work. And I think that's important in the construction industry. I think it's important for us to recognize that, you know, the hiring issue in, the, in, this, in this sphere, I don't think it's a matter of people not wanting to hire Detroiters. I think it's a broader problem. And I like to address that by not candy coating it by saying it's a Detroit issue. So we do encourage that from our contractors. So um, I think that's a pretty much about it for our uh, comments. I do again want to recognize Janet for her work. Um, it's been invaluable. Uh, she really was the missing piece to, to our operations and putting in place a long-term plan to draw down on our capital. So uh, if you have any questions, more than happy to answer. Great, thank you. Jan, would you like to add anything additional? Well, thank you for uh, having us today. Thank you for the kind words, Bo. Um, I have been working on two tracks. The long-term preventive maintenance effort is, of course, a major framework. We're an asset-rich department. That's what we do. So that's really taking half of my time. I have also worked on a number of reforms <clears throat> in, in the eight months since I started uh, relating to our segregation of duties, procurement processes and the like. That's something I had worked on in my long career with the city. So working on both tracks at the same time and happy to entertain any questions related to that. Thank you. Great. Thank you all for your presentation. Um, we're going to go now to questions from um, colleagues. I'll go first. Uh, before I do so, just want to make sure that we do get a copy of the fiscal year 23 and 24 operating budget that was approved by the board. Um, I know every year you all come, we really don't have a budget in front of us to actually see. So it's difficult to, to really follow you all for the PLA side. Um, and so if you can have that submitted, that also has the level of positions, current staffing levels, vacancies, et cetera, um, submitted to city council. All right, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so my question is relative to just the overall complaints that you all receive regarding uh, scarcely lit streets uh, and additional requests for additional lighting in neighborhoods. So how are you all managing those requests? Um, curious to know how much in the budget is allocated towards actually um, allocating additional lighting in neighborhoods um, to address those concerns. Um, well, we address it truthfully. Um, it's not... Uh, an issue where we have a, a quick fix to. Um, the lighting plan was uh, developed in 2013, approved through a process uh, during the bankruptcy, and that's where the, 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 the number of lights was derived and where they would be located. Um, the number of lights is then tied to the construction plan, which is then tied to bonds. So there's a specific, specific process to altering the lighting plan itself and is within our legislation. and. I don't say it's complicated, but it does have a number of moving parts to it. So the addition of lights would have to come through a formal process by which to alter the lighting plan. Um, the lighting plan, just for historical context, uh, the original lighting plan um, prior to uh, the mayor taking office was for 48,000 lights, okay? And there was zero residential, mid-block residential lights, and it would have came to a 48,000 uh, light total. Um, <coughs> I think when the, when the city council was elected back in 2013, taking office in 2014, um, along with the mayor, uh, looked at that plan and said it's not tenable. But neither was it tenable to have two mid-block lights to light up the whole block from a financial perspective. It was wrapped up in the bankruptcy. There's all types of implications on the operations side. Um, as well as on the electric bill side. So 
I guess the compromise was, you know, one mid-block light was where, where the, the lighting plan landed. Um, I'll give my opinion. Um, I think if we were to address this issue, it should be done after we make sure the rest of the system is hardened, okay? Once we replace the old poles that need to be replaced mm -hmm. and replace the fixtures that need to be replaced, then I think we entertain a discussion about expansion if that is what the policymakers would like to do. But having that discussion prior to having the rest of the system fortified, I believe, would put us in a position where we potentially could be spreading ourselves too thin on the operation and maintenance side. So I think we want to make sure that what we have in place is, is really solid for a long period of time before we look at adjustments. And I'm up front with this, the, with the community. I don't try to, you know, give false justification, excuses, or whatever. This is the reality that, that the city was in at the time. Um, I think it was a, uh, the best compromise, um, to use a trite phrase, you know, letting perfect be the enemy of the good uh, is something that comes to mind. But uh, um, nevertheless, it is, uh, um, it is something that we do have to address with the community, and, and Mr. Brooks does a good job, I think, in communicating. Got you. And so for me, I would like to know if there has been an analysis done just to quantify what that number would be based on the complaints thus far. I know that you all actually go out and you observe and you do your analysis to see if it's warranted or not. And so have you all come up with a figure and say, yes, on these particular box, you can actually see that there does need to be additional lighting and what that cost will cost the city roughly? So I think you get in somewhat of a, a rabbit hole when you start going block by block. You need to apply the same standard well, across the city. Well, based on complaints, right, yeah. because people will complain that there's not enough light on their particular block. You all go out, you do an analysis, and you determine whether or not, I guess, it's warranted. So, so based I, on those complaints. So based on those complaints, it tells me that the issue is um, mid-block lighting in residential areas Maybe not every one of them, but I, again, I don't think we can go block by block. We need to apply a standard. And there are approximately 8,000, I believe, lights that fall under this area, if not upwards of 10. So to correct that, right, since there is one mid-block light, you would either have to put two additional lights on the block or move the mid-block to the third on one side and the third on the other. Okay, so... I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head, and, and some of these costs have increased because of cost of material, what have you. But a pole is what, about 500, 400 bucks? The whole installation is 1600 Yeah, So it's $1,600 a block, we estimate, um, all in, and that's applied over 8,000 blocks, which would get us to $12 million, and that's back of an envelope without you know, any extra consideration. All right, I will stop there with that, even though I think we should dig a little please, bit deeper please. into that. And um, we're going to put the entire PLA's budget in executive session anyway until we get the uh, overall budget. Um, the, other, the other concern I wanted to raise, of course, is alley lighting. Over the past decade, the Public Lighting Authority has decommissioned over 10,000 alley lights with no plan for new alley lighting to be installed. Instead, residents were offered a low-cost replacement through uh, DTE. Uh, what resident feedback, if any, has the PLA received since this change from our residents? Uh, my office receives a huge amount of calls from residents who desperately desire alley lighting. Is there a possibility to reinstall lights in public alleys, and what would this process look like? Um, 
I believe the, 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 the answer to this is going to be similar to the one, unfortunately, that I just gave. It's tied up in the lighting plan, and it would require a, a modification of the plan through, uh, through a process of the legislative bodies that oversee PLA. Um, we still get calls on, on alley lights. I, I think over time they, 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 they dwindle. Um, my perception of the issue is there are certain areas of the city that are that are more affected than others. There are certain alleys that are being used mm -hmm. and certain alleys that are not. Um, and unfortunately, again, it, it wasn't a situation 10 years ago where we could go case by case. The lights needed to get turned on as quickly as possible. Um, I can think of a couple areas. Uh, uh, that, that 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 they're actually garages coming in from the alleys. Okay, yep. there's, District five. yep. There's, <laughs> I believe, right behind uh, Henry Ford Hospital. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> that very uh, a vocal community there that uh, that we've had to, um, had had to address. I, I think again, this is a similar issue, um, and there needs to be, I think, an acknowledgement that there are certain alleys that that are unique. And need to be treated as an exception um, and let's sit down and talk about it all right all right thank you so much uh, we will now go to council members questions we'll start with president pro tem tate thank you madam president i don't have much uh to offer madam president to ask a, a very a poignant questions but looking forward to seeing the responses from lpd um, because there were a number of questions that they asked that um, piqued my interest and i've just seen over the years how uh, the public lighting situation in the city of Detroit has completely improved uh, and looking forward to um, seeing how, you know, what the next iteration is moving forward. So I will yield the floor, Madam President. Thank you. Thank you, Pro Tem Tate. Council Member Thank you, Madam President. Always good to see you guys. There you go. I'm sorry. Thought, thought it was on. Um, I just have a couple quick questions really quickly. First of all, I just wanted to ask the public lighting department. Um, from my understanding, you are decommissioning, and I think that should be done by the end of this year, or when is that going to be exactly? Okay, I can speak to that. Um, really, because you know, DT is doing their hardening program through the whole city right now. They have basically taught right. the Public Service Commission. They said it's a five to seven year program. So our position on this is we're going to follow behind them because we wouldn't want to take down any assets that doesn't cost the city money. So anything that's left behind for after you do their hardening program, we're going to go and take it down. So we project five mm -hmm. to seven years. But as you know, though, but another part of our program right now is we're, um, um, as you know, all the power has been shut off by the PLD grid. So we're in the process of taking all the wire from the underground uh, conduit runs in the city of Detroit right now. So we've been doing this for the last uh, six, seven months. So we're going forward on that program because it didn't, uh, doesn't affect the hardening program with uh, DTE. So underground aspects we're moving forward right now. As you can see on my um, revenue line in our budget, we probably, by doing this, uh, we're probably generating $1.4 million in metal recovery from our underground uh, entity in the city of Detroit. So, by going forward, by doing the overhead slowly, we realize it's not going to be that big of a win for the PLD department, but we're hopefully that we can start this program actually in, in April, taking down some of the old wires left behind from DT and their hardening program. So do you ask your questions about five to seven years program, but we're moving forward on that right now. Okay, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm looking here and I'm looking at the, um, 
what the uh, projections are and um, what the actual is, what the projections are. It just seems that the numbers are kind of going up to me a little bit. Like, and I, and I just wanted to know, is that part of the decommissioning process? But you kind of answered it already because you're saying that DTE is really doing the one that's hardening the assets, right? Correct. So you, the city is not involved or paying for that out of their budget at all. That's something that DTE is doing. Correct. And then this is my final question I wanted to ask. Um, with everything that's going on uh, with DTE um, in terms of people not having power, in terms of people not having lights because of inclement weather and things of that nature, has there been any discussion with you at all in terms of assisting DTE or has there been any discussion in terms of when they're going to transfer over these assets to DTE that there's going to be certain things they're going to take into account, not just in terms of hardening the assets, but also in terms of microgrids as well? Because I just think, and the reason why I'm saying this, because I know you can't apply that everywhere, but the reason why I'm saying that is because I've been in a couple situations at night where my power's been off. And because I'm fortunate enough to be able to go somewhere else, a hotel or something like that, I can do that. But there's a lot of people who can't. And so it's one thing when you don't have your lights on in the house, and that's scary, but you don't have your lights on the house and you don't have lights on outside. And you might, you know, because Detroit, because of the recent um, demolitions that take place, you might have one or two houses that are on the block. And so they're very kind of, um, you know, it, it's a real precarious you know, situation. And so if they were to have either to harden those assets to make sure at least those lights were on outside or they were to have microgrids so that, you know, if you did have a power shutoff that took place, they would still have some power in that neighborhood. Or, you know, as we had, God forbid, with the wire department with DWSD, they would still have that power available. Has there been any conversations with you from DTE about this, asking you for advice or asking you for how at all? None at all. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If the clerk would know, we've also been joined by Councilmember Durha. Uh, Member Johnson. Thank you, Madam President, and good morning to all of you. Um, I want to kind of piggyback off of what Member Young just asked about because it was one of my questions. Um, how does DTE outages actually impact uh, PLD's ability to keep the streetlights on? Are you solely dependent upon them for power for streetlights? Um, yes, uh, DTE does supply all the power. So um, when a weather event occurs, um, we need to, in most cases, unless there's a pole blocking traffic or per causing a safety issue, take a step back and wait for the power to be restored because we have no way of knowing whether the outage is due to power or whether it's due to some other issue within our network. So. Um, when a mass weather event like this happens, we have a number of contract crews that work on maintenance on our system. We release those crews to work on storm work for DTE to augment their effort. Now, it's a drop in the bucket, let's be clear. You know, they have upwards of 3,000 men in the field or however many. We release another 10 to 15, but it's called mutual aid and it's something utilities do amongst each other. But the power outage, the power outages, uh, um, you know, those are not a result of PLA or PLD because the power originates from um, from DTE and then is distributed throughout the street lighting network. Uh, so, a related follow up question: There was a time when PLD provided power for yes. the city, correct? So, PLD provides none. So, PLD 
provided power to government institutions, nonprofits, and and probably half of the street lighting system before. And you know, anecdotally, part of the um, original uh, issue, root cause of the street lighting issue 10 years ago was the failing of the underlying distribution system and getting power to those street lights in the first place. It wasn't the burning out of the fixtures. So that issue right there was, uh, uh, um, was part and parcel to why the PLA was created. Hmm, interesting. Um, my other question is, I'm not sure if you all do generate any revenue, but if you do, do you generate revenue from street streetlight leases from telecommunications providers? So the, I'll start this and then John can piggyback. PLA is not, I don't believe under our legislation, allowed to uh, generate revenue from the assets it owns or the assets it maintains. The city itself is the purveyor and, and, and owner of the asset. So any third party attachment, though we do facilitate, does uh, end up as a revenue uh, 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 for the city and not for the PLA. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, last year we billed approximately a million dollars for people using our underground conduit and attaching to our assets in the city of Detroit. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Member Johnson. Member Durhoff. Thank you, Madam President. Good morning to you all. Uh, I have a question uh, dealing kind of with something we discussed even last year. Uh, we talked about that when we first start rolling out these sets of streetlights, we had a lot of intermittent problems with some flashing, uh, some uh, with the LED lights uh, that did not come on at all. Uh, and we talked about that one of the reasons why that happened was the vendor uh, that we had with the city of Detroit and their equipment that they had. Uh, what kind of update can you give relative to how those lights are functioning now? Do we have streetlights everywhere now that are functioning correctly uh, and what does the relationship look like now with the vendor and their product that they have supplied to the city um, sorry. Uh, so okay so 2019 um, the vendor in question was Leo Tech and filed the lawsuit against them uh, prevailed uh, re compensated replaced all 20,000 of those Leo Tech lights um, they're functioning properly. We've moved to a, a general electric standard, so we're not having very different vendors. We're having single types of uh, different luminosity and different uh, uh, intensity, but through a single vendor, we thought GE was the, the most reliable, uh, American-owned, American-made, what have you. Um, we are at a position now where there's 40,000 lights that are still on their first cycle, the 20,000 that we replaced, we think should last through the, uh, the duration of the bond period. Um, we have budgeted in a, a replacement of the remaining 40,000. They are holding up with the caveat. The caveat is one of the types of lights that, that we use, Coopers. Um, I hate to say that publicly, but um, <laughs> um, uh, they, they are uh, failing prematurely, but the warranty period is only like a year left, so there's really not much we can do about it other than monitor. Uh, what's nice is when these go out, they do start to flicker, so they're easier to notice, and we go out and replace them as they start to fail. Um, we have flagged that these are the first ones that need to be replaced as part of our broader uh, um, uh, uh, state of good repair program. Um, but yeah, we're, we're in a position where we, we, we have confidence in the lights and the selection of vendors that we're using. We have good relationships with GE. I think some of that relationship is allowing us to not have to incur some of the uh, price increases. They're, they're, 
they're moderately implementing them with us, and I think our volume that we buy is a, a reason why. But uh, um, no, I think we're in a good position when it comes to the fixtures. Kurt, thank you for that. And, and just a follow-up uh, or another question, Madam President, through you. Uh, when we hear, even last night at the State of the State, we're talking about moving Detroit forward, whether that's autonomous vehicles, whether it's dealing with different levels of mobility uh, and, you know, these new uh, communities, if you will. Uh, what are some of the thoughts from the authority behind that? How are we getting prepared uh, to kind of make that transition? And have we looked into cost relative to what that would be so we are competitive or, or we're doing things uh, commensurate or, or comparable to uh, other cities of our size? Okay. Um, through the chair, um, let's see. Streetlights are uh, uh, a valuable asset because they can be used for multiple purposes, okay? Um, and the city is very fortunate because it has a... a a pretty much a clean slate from a from an underground utility network to to be creative in how it applies those assets. So, PLA, we are even though we're you know technically an external entity, we are fully embedded with the city in terms of planning, in terms of uh, grant proposals. Uh, you know, we're we're part of the team that that, that does this. So there are extensive dis uh, discussions right now on electric vehicle charging stations. Um, autonomous vehicles. And yes, PLA is involved in those discussions. We have seen uh, uh, models of streetlights where uh, charging, charging units can be built into the actual streetlight. Um, likewise, you know, John uh, at the department using the underground uh, um, conduit can also be leveraged for most likely electric vehicles, but, you know, at least the charging stations as well. So, so yes, we, we are involved in those discussions. I, I can tell you that from a grant standpoint, the city is looking closely at every opportunity at the federal level that contains language for um, these modern technologies, and then we're, we are, in fact, uh, um, participating in those discussions. So, yeah, please do. Through the chair, if I can add one thing, just a point of process, uh, Member Durhall. The new long-term planning process that we've instituted will have us every year doing a look forward. You know, EVs, smart applications like remote outages, that way we can cost it out, bring it to the board. That plan will be updated every year so that it can feed into grant processes through the budget. Then thank you. I look forward to seeing a report on that. Uh, again, I want to just ensure that when we take these steps forward, uh, that we're prepared. Uh, obviously, there'll be a lot of capital that has to be uh, put into that when we talk about alternatives and, you know, whether that's electric vehicles. Now we have charging stations and having the opportunity to visit uh, other big cities around the country. I see some of the things that they're doing uh, and optimistic and hopeful that can happen here, but want to, you know, just want to kind of see where we are uh, what will be the dependency on the grid that we already have established, and is that sustainable for uh, our city moving forward? Uh, so thank you, Madam President. Great. Thank you, Member Durhaw. Member Waters. Thank you, uh, Madam President. Um, are there any plans to uh, uh, expand PLD's uh, reserve? Uh, John? I really can't speak to that. That's basically a finance question. So I think we have, um, they're here today, could probably answer that question. 
through the chair. Yes, um, good afternoon. I am Donnie Johnson. I am the associate budget director for the city, lurking back here. Um, member uh, through the chair to member Waters. When you say the reserve, you mean the um, the budgetary reserve, essentially yes. the surplus reserve. Mm -hmm. um, at this time, we don't intend to continue to grow the reserve for the public lighting department of the city. We do intend to begin using the decommissioning reserve as we've now begun, you know, earnest decommissioning activities following behind DTE and their hardening efforts. For the PLA, the PLA is also <coughs> um, spending down their reserve, but we will be having conversations with them to talk about ensuring, uh, you know, to member Durhal's question as well, the capital requirements for ongoing plans for the Public Lighting Authority um, and its work vis-a-vis -vis the Public Lighting Department. Thank you. Uh, so my other question goes to your commitment to sustainability and energy efficiency. Um, are there plans to incorporate uh, or improve solar power? On the lighting side, no. Um, and there's a couple of distinct reasons why solar power isn't advantageous necessarily for streetlights. Mm -hmm. First of which, it, it, it's interruptible, meaning y you don't have a constant supply of, of solar power. There may be, uh, God forbid, you know, a dark period of time that, that makes, you know, and then that would cause a mass outage. So that in and of itself brings, uh, uh, brings some issue. The other issue is the cost of the units themselves. Um, they're very expensive, and any savings you get on electricity is eaten up in the upfront capital cost to install them not to mention the labor costs. Um, and we need to be very careful because we have a lot of uh, vehicular accidents against poles. And when you start putting fixtures that cost two to $3,000 on a pole, it, it exponentially increases the, the cost of the damage and the rep repair. Um, I'm not saying it's not viable down the road, but I think at least this is just me editorializing. When it comes to solar-powered streetlights, it's very. I think the best way to look to the future would be to find what mistakes other cities have made in this sphere and not make them here. It's always, I think, best to come in second and instead of first in some of these issues because let let the other people get the wrinkles out, and you come in with the with a with a polished solution on the back end. Um, but I don't I don't necessarily think that it's something that would. It would cost so much money that, again, the, the, the savings on the electricity wouldn't necessarily matter. I mean, it, it would be great from a, from a uh, perception standpoint that we're moving forward, the city's doing this, but from a practical standpoint, I, I think it's one of those where you'd spend $5,000 to get $2,000 worth of benefit. Interesting. Just to speak on top of that, uh, they put those solar lights on Belle Isle. We're having issues with those all right now. It's one of those things that uh, the, all of a sudden lights are going off like a... 12 o'clock at night because those days ahead they didn't have all the sunlight. So it's one of those things that I think, like Bo was saying, they jumped too soon into this project. And then thinking twice, man, we, sh we should have sat back and see if there's new technology and things coming forward. So if you want to go to Belle Isle at night and see the sort of the, the dark spots on the island, you'll see what happened with their uh, introduction of solar lights. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you. I, I certainly will. Thank you. Thank you, Member Waters. Madam Member President. Thank you, Member Waters. Member Benson. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for being here today. <clears throat> um, 
questions for PLD than I have some for PLA as well. So on the PLD side, it really seems that the management of our legacy assets is become key and foremost for the department operations. How are we being as efficient as possible, i.e. generating more and being thoughtful about how we can best leverage these legacy assets to generate more revenue for the city and for the department? It's more than just for the department, because we actually use our uh, infrastructure for the DO-IT group in the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. We have approximately about 500 miles underground condo in the city of Detroit. So you're talking earlier in the day about uh, in the future what it's used for. So we have, I have crews that are out there every day pulling wire underground assets. And if they come across a, a condo run that's been collapsed, we fix it. A manhole cover, we fix it. Those are some of the things we have in our budget and our expenses, about $1.5 million in fixing those things. So we take this real serious about our legacy, about our infrastructure. Because we know that right now we're still making you know, millions of dollars on it right now. But we know that in the future this can be a big, big thing. Because as Bo was talking about here, maybe the city council decides four or five years from now they don't want their... Um, their lines be overhead, they went underground. So we have to keep the infrastructure in place for PLA or everybody coming to the city trade. So we take this real serious. You have crews there every day. Like figure out, I think last week we fixed uh, like four manholes in the city trade to make sure we, they're ready to go when people ask us and want to rent it for sure. Okay, and so that sounds great, but then just looking at the actual budget, and I'm looking at page B, Bravo 38, tax six. And you'll see a decline in revenues from use of assets from proposed 467000 to 266000 in fiscal year 27. Then you'll see a just a leveling off of sales and charges for services of $3.2 uh, from this fiscal year and through fiscal year 27. So for me, it's more about how do we find growth. If we have this legacy asset and this ability to grow revenue, why not grow the revenue and just at least think about greater ways that we can do that. What are we doing there for growth of revenue? And if it's sales, and that means it's a one-time deal, how do we utilize this infrastructure to grow revenue? And are we being as efficient as we can there? To the chair, if I may, a big part of our revenue in the, pre in the current budget year and previous budget years was reimbursements from DTE under the EDSA. And the EDSA is completed December 31st past. So those reimbursements are gone forever. Those reimbursements include most of my salary, most of Mr. Primack's salary, all of our Miss Dig costs, and amounted to about a million and a half to two million dollars per year. That revenue stream is gone. That's the big drop here. Uh, and most of the reimbursement costs that already were there, so it wasn't true revenue. It was actually cutting our costs, but it's showing up as revenue in the books. Because it's coming from an outside source. Okay. Uh, as far as the existing assets go, whenever anybody coming in wants to run some underground cable, we make sure that there no we have cable available, or space available, conduit space available. But it, if our conduit space isn't where they want to run it, it doesn't do any good. They have to want to be where we are. To build new conduit space is very cost prohibitive. That's why they rent, because they don't want to build conduit either. Uh, a few go through, like neighborhoods they'll do called direct boring, where you have a machine that buries a three or four inch PVC pipe underneath the ground, and they'll run through that. But in the downtown neighborhoods, that's not practical, so they look for places like our capacity to render cables. But we have no way of 
drawing people in and saying, hey, well, put some cable here. They won't, they don't have anybody to hook up to. So until they have a customer, they're not going to run cable. So our. Yeah, and our costs are not a one-time fee. So we actually rent this um, by the foot per per year. So it's one of this continuous revenue for us. So that's not a one-time fee. So they can, it's like, it keeps on going every, every year. Okay. And so, Madam President, did you. Has this been placed into executive session yet? Um, just PLA. I haven't motioned yet, though. Motion to place PLD into executive session. All right. Motion has been made. Any objections? Hearing none, that motion is approved. And, and then for me, the the revenue growth operation is really, I think, I, what I'm not hearing, what I'm not seeing in the numbers is not there. So I really want to have that conversation. That can be something done offline. And then for the PLA, when we talk about the long-term viability of the system and the need to have long-term plans, um, and just building resiliency into the system as well. I'm not sure if that's those numbers are already built in there. Is there an actual physical long-term maintenance management plan and then resiliency capital investment that needs to go into the system to keep it viable for 50, 70 years into the future? And this is building off some of my colleagues' questions as well. Um, Yes, and, and I, this is probably one of the biggest highlights of the last year. Um, up until a year ago, we knew we needed to do this work. Uh, we knew that there was money. We didn't know whether there was enough to complete the work. But Dr. Anderson in the last year has done two pivotal things. One, she's, she's basically taken the system and identified all of the gaps that need to be filled for it to be made complete and put together a project plan over the next five to six years to complete that work. Um, additionally, um, we all hate inflation, but one positive aspect of inflation is if you're cash rich, you can get interest on your money. So um, we were able to put together an investment program uh, with, with a new bank. We think we went with Huntington on, on our investment side, and we went with First Independence on our uh, transactional side. Um, and we're able to invest the money with interest. So that money is then uh, reapplied for the long-term capital plan. Um, and we laddered the interest in investment products that come to maturity when the, when the necessary work is scheduled to be completed. So we're not leaving any money on the table from the interest standpoint. And that thereby also lessens the burden on the city because uh, we're able to garner that interest. And she's put that pro project together over the next, uh, I believe, six years, seven years, uh, to 2030. Um, and that's drawing down the money that, 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 that PLA has. Uh, additionally, I think there's an opportunity at some point to refinance the bonds, and there is some money that's suspended due to the bond covenants that can be accessed if we were able to successfully refinance. Um, and finally, we're looking at every, uh, we're not, we're, we're turning over every rock, I guess, or every stone uh, to find every grant uh, opportunity there. Um, we've looked at the money that we have to reinforce the system from a um, reliability standpoint. Uh, we're focusing our grant efforts on um, standardization of the system, uh, not necessarily aesthetics, but reinforcing uh, corridors so they, they, all the lights look alike. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, from from beautification of the city standpoint, will will really, you know, make make a dramatic effect. So, okay. Mm -hmm. And Madam President, you said PLA has been placed into. You want to make a motion? Motion. All right. Motion has been made to add PLA to the executive session. Hearing no objections, that motion is approved. <clears throat> Thank you, Member Benson. Member Calloway. Thank you, Madam Chair. 
I'm just always curious. Do any of you live in Detroit? Let me see your hands. Okay, great. Two of you. Okay, that's great. I, I always like to see um, um, folks who live in Detroit that work in Detroit. That's a wonderful thing. We used to have residency in the city of Detroit. I miss that. Um, I have a question for you. There is a um, PLD substation located along Woodward and um, just north of Merrill Plaisance, um, right around Covington. You all know where I'm talking about? Okay, and there's a historic marker there for? For Parkland. Yeah, Palmer Park. Yes, correct. What are the plans for that substation? Because it's a beautiful structure. Hold on. Uh, I have an answer for you if you like. Oh, go ahead. Uh, we actually turned that over to GSD. And GSD is going to, I, I believe, after talking with Brad Dick's group, they're going to actually coordinate some kind of a coffee shop or restaurant in that facility. So that's been cleaned out. It's all ready to go. So they're looking at uh, vendors to do that. Okay, so he's, he's using my idea. I'll have to call him later today. So hopefully you're, you're listening, Brad. I hear that you're moving on my um, recommendation. Um, next, um, are there any environmental concerns about that substation? No, we, we have cleaned it all out. All the asbestos mm -hmm. has been taken care of. All the oil has been treated. And actually that building is... Um, Clean sleep. Okay, great, great. I'm so glad to hear that it's going to be reutilized because it's a beautiful structure. For those of you who are not familiar, familiar with it, it's right at the edge of um, Woodward, right around Covington. It's so beautiful. And, for it, and behind it is a fountain that I'm hoping we can um, um, get working again, too, because it's a beautiful marble um, fountain right behind it. So if there's water flowing from that substation, hopefully, you know, um, we can get something done about that fountain over there on that same piece of property. So thank you for that. Um, I'm looking at the budget over here, just the information that we have for one FTE left. What's going to happen with that one FTE? Are we going to roll that into another department, or is that still going to be one standalone FTE? What's happening with that? That's you. That's for PLD. Yeah. And who represents that FTE through the chair? Okay, that's a, a PLD. That's one person we have there. We put in there, I think we have a title that's basically, um, uh, what's the title we use at the end? Drafting Tech 4. A, a drafting Tech 4. We left that open because we anticipate in the future, or sooner than later, if more people want to use our assets in the city of Detroit, we might use them as our GS mapping person in the future. Like right now, we don't have that person um, scheduled for anything right now, but hopefully we have more interest. And with our new idea of uh, taking down... Um, our hardening program, we need somebody to follow that along. So we're, we haven't had to add that person to our mix yet, but we're hoping to, if we have more demand for it, we'll put that person in place. Okay, through the chair. So the FT is not, there's no one in that position occupying it right correct, now? Correct, correct. Okay. Um, and I have a couple of other questions. This is for um, PLA. And it'll be, I've never, so, never seen so many power outages in my life. I'm a lifetime Detroiter since we got entangled with DTE. Um, and I don't know if the rest, you know, if my colleagues remember, we never really had power outages, maybe one every 10 years. But now they're commonplace. And that's unfortunate for um, my neighbors and me being without power, some of them for six consecutive days. Um, when we have um, uh, winter storms, and um, many of our contractors um, from PLD and PLA are released from municipal job assignments to clear storm, um, clear storm damage. Do we send any of these crews outside of Detroit to help with other municipalities to clear out their storm damage? Yeah, I'm not. Sorry. Um, through the chair, I am not uh, privy to where the crews are specifically sent. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, it's generally within a geographic area that's close to where they where they park their vehicles. <laughs> so both of our contractors, you know, anecdotally park their vehicles within the city because they're Detroit-based businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really have a lot. I don't have a lot of uh, visibility or control over where they're sent. Um, uh, just for for scale uh, uh, reference, we. Are, we have maybe four or five crews that are that are set up to do that type of work. We do other types of work on streetlights, so it doesn't necessarily overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, DTE has thousands of people in the field, so the 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 effect. I mean, it could be symbolic if we were able to say, "Hey, please go over here." But really, in reality, the the, the effect would be minimal because of the scale of the of, of the outage. When you get to be that large of a of an outage. Our extra five crews, it would, it would, it might even disrupt things right. by trying to direct them in a certain area because you have such a, a, a assembly line of an operation with people coming in from all over the country. Um, you know, again, in addition to, to your question, you know, these outages are very frustrating, I'm sure, uh, for everybody. Um, I will say that the hardening taking place in the city of Detroit is extensive. Uh, there is more mm-hmm. investment being done in the utility network within the city of Detroit that, that, than I think has been done in a very long time. I think combined with the public lighting department uh, um, going away, those lines being cleared from the poles will make restoration that much easier because there will be less things to, to, to sort through. Um, additionally, there's significant tree trimming that's underway. Um, so I think there are efforts taking place. Unfortunately, these weather events are taking place during the, during the change. And, um, you know, until this system gets hardened, um, we're going to, you know, potentially have, have additional exposure. But um, I have one, a couple more questions, Madam Chair. Uh, in my community, I see multiple different styles of lighting poles. Who makes the decisions... Um, about what light poles go in which communities. Because okay. the there's no, let me finish. Go, there's sorry. no uniformity or consistency with the poles that I see in my in my community. Okay, um, through the chair, the the lighting. Going back to the lighting plan uh, that was established in 2013. Um, I, I wasn't at the, the the public lighting authority at the time, but I was at the department, so I did have some visibility over what was taking place, and. In certain areas of the city, there were historical decorative lights prior to PLA. So that that legacy was moved forward. Um, but in addition, certain communities requested specific types of lights for their community. I can think of uh, two in particular, uh, uh, Indian Village and um, Palmer Woods, I believe, Sherwood Forest. And those community groups did, uh, in fact, contribute to to their lights and pay, and, and paid the uh, the difference between what the standard light was going to be and what the cost of the decorative light was. So, uh, the public lighting authority did have a, a standard cost for these historically designated neighborhoods, and anything above that cost was augmented through uh, contribution from the associated community group within that area. Mm-hmm. Okay, and my my last, I guess questions um, last um, or slash comment. I like solar. Um, um, I live in Green Acres and we have the best solar light system 
um, at Hyde Park ever. And that light um, never goes out. We have to replace it now. But it's been um, a couple decades or a decade and, decade and a half. So I like solar, and they're doing that in Highland Park, and it seems to be working. So I'd like to see why the solar lights aren't working on Belle Isle. Maybe it's the, you know, the quality of the solar light. I'm not sure. Maybe we should check with Highland Park. But I'm hoping that we can get untangled um, 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 PLA, PLD, and DTE because, again, I'll say, as I said earlier, I've never, ever um, experienced so many power outages since we've got entangled with um, DTE. Thank you, Madam Chair. <clears throat> Thank you, Member Calloway. And if there's no additional questions, again, um, council members, we can submit our um, additional questions in writing to the department and make sure that they do respond. Uh, we will now move to our public well, comment. I'm sorry. You just mention something right quickly. I'm sorry. Yes, Member Waters. Yeah. All right. mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so, you know, last night the mayor talked about um, revenues, you know, last night to start the process of putting some of those lines on the ground, particularly in those areas that have more frequent outages. Um, is, is there a way for, for you all to work um, with DTE and so forth to make some of those things happen? For me, uh, us at our at our level, um, <laughs> that's above my pay grade. I mean, I mean, it, was just, it was just such a a great thing uh, to see. You know, there's going to be some investments along those lines, and so uh, I just don't know why we don't capitalize on on, on, so, on some of that. I, I guess just for some in, institutional, I'll use some institutional knowledge to to address the issue. Um, underground fed power lines. Uh, um, mm -hmm. It's advantageous to do that when they're built initially. So, yeah, I know. And, and it, I, look, Detroit, you know, has a burden of being the oldest city in the state and the most populous. So they built the utility network from the core out. So the city has some of the older, uh, uh, older, 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 older grid. Um, the utility lines, unfortunately, that, that feed residences underground right now uh, are done when the house is built. And I believe they passed certain laws possibly at the state level 50 years ago for that. But you're grandfathered in if you had your uh, house fed overhead uh, prior to. Uh, going back and burying the lines, it makes sense, I think, to do the major lines, the, the, the high voltage lines on thoroughfares. That's where you can you know, probably do it a little uh, cheaper as you're doing other things on the roadway. But I think this speaks to more of an integrated uh, um, uh, infrastructure planning that, that needs to take place. There's a lot of different... Uh, entities around the city involved in, in infrastructure planning, and the more we can coordinate amongst each other and um, leverage construction opportunities to kill two birds with one stone, I think, is the best way to look forward on that. So this is just a comment, Madam mm -hmm. President. I, I, I certainly hope that we can begin to look at how we can improve some of these things and stop prevent some of these outages. Uh, Look at what other cities are doing. Um, you're right. So many things were done 50 years ago and so forth. But that has to be an answer for us. And, and I hope that you will begin to, to take a look at those, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, Madam President. All right. Thank you. All right. We're going to now move to our uh, public comment Madam portion. President? Yes, Mr. Corley. Thank you so much, Madam President. This is not really a question for the departments, but... 
with respect to council member questions on the budget, um, a smart sheet is being set up yep. by the administration. And so all of your questions, as well as LPD questions, will be posted on that particular smart sheet. Mm -hmm. And all the responses to those will be in that smart sheet so that the public will have access to those as well. So just to let you know. All right. Thank you, Mr. Thank Corley. You. Mr. Uh, Malik sent that out, I think, yesterday, right? Malik Washington sent that out uh, for council members. All right. Thank you. We will go to public comments, starting with uh, Malik Shelton. And everyone will have two minutes for a public comment. Just general uh, public comment? Yes, sir. Okay. And... Um, Detroit City Charter, Section 2.113, it says that no one who is in default of the city in terms of a contract or other uh, or any, any other way cannot do business with the city. Uh, and so you have the Illages, it's my understanding that they were in default from the first, uh, from the uh, Red, the uh, Detroit Red Wing Stadium. Also, you have uh, many entities, downtown hotels, luxury hotels, that uh, were and are in default, as well as delinquent on Section 108 loans. Uh, for example, in 2013, according to the data, these entities were $25 million in default of Section 1 or and delinquent in Section 108 loans. And then 10 years later, in 2023, guess what? There's still $25 million uh, of Section 108 loans that have not been repaid back to the city. And when that happens, as you well know, Council, the HUD takes these uh, the loan payments that are due out of the future of next year's community development block grant money. So this is money that the residents in an impoverished city like Detroit desperately need uh, in terms of the uh, Detroit uh, Lighting Authority. How many bonds have you issued? You do have the capacity and the authority to issue bonds, although you pretend like you're some type of separate entity. I'd like to know how many Thank bonds you. does have these authorities issued. All right, Mr. Shelton, we'll make sure your question we'll make sure your question is addressed. Um, we're gonna take all of the public comment first so we can move to our virtual callers. Good morning, Madam President. We have eight hand raised hands raised on Zoom. The first caller is Black Jesus. Yeah. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's still morning time. Um, and directed to Angela Whitfield Callaway, uh, District 2 representative. Um, you speak so highly of how you represent for your district. Um, you also, are, uh, I understand, are a lawyer. You've been presented with information that clearly indicates that the city of Detroit has issued approximately 13 illegally issued municipal bonds, UGTO bonds, LGTO bonds, Refunding bonds uh, as they're 
card with no refining characteristics whatsoever and uh, revenue bonds. All municipal bonds, all forms of municipal bonds require some notifying of the public. Uh, revenue bonds require notice, contrary to what uh, Urban Corley and uh, John Neglick presented to um, Councilman Durhall and Councilman Durhall, UTTO bonds are voter approved bonds and LGTOs are the ones that need notice, um, contrary to your understanding of what is required. Now, Miss um, Callaway, you often speak highly of, uh, I saw you give accommodations yesterday to uh, two of the sisters, uh, sorority sisters of yours. Um, one I know from a previous relationship with uh, administration of, she was worked for Kwame Kilpatrick. The other one I just met yesterday. Now, I, both of your sorority sisters seem to be upstanding individuals. Now, have you informed the other council members about the illegality of those municipal bonds issues where the citizens were no, not notified? Excuse me. Now, the bond account proceeds went into a bank account. The, the cashier's checks and wire transfers should be public knowledge, and it should be published in posted on the city's website. All right, thank you. The next caller is Cindy Dara. All right, good morning, Cindy Dara. Okay, you got it? Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Uh, I work for public lighting from 82 to 86 as a streetlight maintenance worker and a mechanical helper at Masurtic Power Plant. And um, I just, they had underground problems over in Northwest Detroit with pipes years ago saying that they couldn't afford to put new cable in there. Uh, if you're trying to harden something, it means you go underground. You don't start taking the underground and putting it above ground. And um, Saul used to tell me that New York City, they had they built their own uh, tunneling machine instead of buying it from somebody else or renting it. They built their own so they could tunnel successfully. And I don't know if that's the same as these new machines that push pipe underground. But um, if you're going to, like, open up, see, I that's what bothers me about the whole downtown. You know, they say that uh, we're not going to spend any money. Well, they're going to want communications down there better and more reliability. And uh, so it's not just the stormwater uh, separation from the sewers that you need to worry about in the infrastructure, but also trying to harden the system and and put give us internet. Now, I went back after the bankruptcy over to Grinnell. They destroyed all the cards that showed all the poles that we owned, and we did put um, they branded them too. But you'd have to go look at the brand. But we used to own enough poles. We might have had our own internet instead of having Comcast. This is just the kind of thing that if you want to bring people here, you fix the infrastructure and not some empty hotel rooms or empty offices downtown. All right. 
Thank you, Ms. Dara. The next caller is Betty A. Varna. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah. Hi, my name is Betty A. Varna. Uh, Y'all hearing my voice over and over, but I'm very serious about the uh, problems that the uh, the seniors and people with disabilities are having, the challenges uh, living in their homes. I was born and raised in the city of Detroit, proud resident of uh, District 7. I'm also president of the Soda Ellsworth Black Association, and the majority of my members were seniors. And we uh, I've started doing research and I'm talking to other seniors and people with uh, disabilities and we're having challenges uh, with our homes. Uh, we have been invested in our communities for years. My members, uh, most of them been in the neighborhood 30 plus years. We need our homes. We need ramps. We need uh, walking assistance and getting walking showers. We need uh items in our homes to help them be safe so that we can continue to live in the neighborhoods that we have invested so much time in and that we love. We love our city. We love the neighborhood. We, particularly my Black Club, we are working uh, with the city and uh, to beautify our neighborhood and to improve our neighborhood. And we're just asking for this help. And I want to uh, take this time to acknowledge and say thank you for the council members who have spoke publicly stating that they are going to advocate to for uh, seniors and people with disabilities uh, with these challenges. And uh, so council member uh, Waters, Councilmember Durrell, President uh, Sheffield, uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, uh, Ms. Varner. We appreciate you as well. The next caller is Stephen Halloran. Hi. How's it going? Um, can I be heard? Yes, you can. Awesome. So, um, Regarding the gun violence, um, I know um, Speaker Tate mentioned that they want to ban on assault rifles, which I totally agree with. The city needs to send a resolution asking for the legislator for a ban on assault rifles. I mean, I know um, Councilwoman Holloway mentioned this a few months ago, but I mean, people do have the right to defend themselves, but I mean, an assault rifle, there is no need for it. Really, I would say about 90% of the people who have assault rifles, AKs, or all of that other, um, <laughs> can't swear, um, are criminals, and we need to, we need to have a ban on it. And, um, also, how's it going on the resolution supporting the um, gun laws and um, the legislation? I mean, we need to get that going <laughs> soon. Um, next, um, I'm going to mention the DDOT budget. I know that was um, put on hold on last meeting. And is that going to be um, discussed? This meeting or the next one? 
right. Are you finished with your comments? Yes, I am. Okay. Thank you. And um, we will take up the DDOT uh, concerns during their hearing and then also the resolution regarding um, uh, a change in state law for gun violence and gun laws is in committee right now. All right. We appreciate you. Next caller, please. The next Hello. caller is Karen Winston. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Well, first off, um, now, when I wanted to ask a question at a meeting, I was kicked out of, out of the meeting because I guess it wasn't germane to that particular meeting. However, the previous caller was allowed to, you know, to talk about everything except Jesus Christ himself. That's out of the door. Second of all, you guys are being manipulated because you don't have any uh, knowledge of public lighting or the system or the rules that surround public lighting. In contrast, I started working for public lighting in 1983, and I worked there until 2009, the last 12 years in operations. I can tell you everything about the operations, the relationship. I'm not confused about DTE, PLA, PLD relationship, nor how electricity works. The licensed electrician to go along with that. Now, Mr. Taylor has, should, should have never been in charge of PLD. He's not an engineer. He has no experience in the city. Now, um, I got so much to say, I don't have time, but I'm going to tell you you're being used. I would like to volunteer my experience to enlighten you about the truth about uh, um, what the relationship is. Public lighting, like Wyandotte, had our own power production system. When the storm happened, Wyandotte was back in power in 24 hours. The city suffered People in the city suffered for six, seven days. But these yahoos that we're listening to don't have an idea. They don't have an idea about solar. Bell Isle is out because it's not solar. That's why it's out. See, they can tell you anything and you believe it because you have not information or knowledge enough to question it. That's one thing. The other thing I want to know is, uh, you know, I want you guys to know that public lighting, like the water board, we owned our own pensions. That's why my pension shouldn't have been touched. The last year they were in service, it cost the uh, general fund, they being public lighting, less than a million dollars a year. Now how much you're paying? This is ridiculous. You need to, let me talk to you. I'd like to talk. All right, all right, thank you. The next caller is Carol Hughes. Good morning, honorable body um, and panel. And chairperson, may I speak? Yes, you can. <clears throat> the previous, the gentleman, Mr. Malik, who's in the audience, has offered up some very serious concerns that should be on the mind of the council members, but it doesn't appear that you are hearing what we're saying to you. We have been defrauded out of bond money, and I think with Mr. Durhall, who is the chairperson of the audit committee, he should have something to say about that. And my question to the panel is, is that you had an audit that had some outstanding items in 2020. I was wondering if they had been corrected. Um, one of the audits, the audit was, was uh, February, was salvage operations and had it been resolved. They had some concerns, the Auditor General did. I also wanted to know um, if you want to make the, the Detroit Information Technology Department, and uh, if you want to make, let them stay on the legacy system, why not just build up our own legacy system? As the prior caller said, she has 
personal knowledge of this. She knows, and maybe you should get with her, and she has some idea of making our system more resilient because it was very, very uh, concerning to have elderly and people out for as long as, as they were out. Um, I have some time, and so my time that I'm going to speak on is the bond issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you have received a report, uh, Mr. Durhall, that says that we spent bond dollars on a system, a transportation system that was touted as public. I believe that you, Mr. Durhall, as the chairperson of the audit committee, you are responsible for investigating this. You also have outstanding items I noticed you didn't mention on this very audit and these people right here. And how much money are we getting from selling the copper from the wires? Thank you. Thank you. The next caller is phone number ending in 534. Uh, Yes, good morning. May I be heard? Yes, good morning. Okay, I agree with, I'm sorry. Good morning, go right ahead. Yes, I agree with the last caller, and Cindy Dara has said this too. Talk to the people who have worked at these places instead of just like, you know, go wherever. And again, when you hire outside people all the time, that's not helping build our uh, tax base. Now, are there surveillance cameras put in any of these lights? I'd like to know, because it's like we're turning this place into surveillance city. There's a whole bunch of new surveillance city in that little council room there, and it's a tremendous disrespect to Irma Henderson to not have that auditorium up. Is somebody just keeping the sound down on purpose, or is there a real problem with that? Now, the mayor's address last night was like, a major snow job in many respects. Um, you know, as you all know, my neighborhood, my block got secretly planned. That's super uncool. And so here's notice to all of you. Save all your documents because I'm going to file a lawsuit against you if you don't change that. That was presented as like it was a handshake deal last night. And Mary Sheffield keeps leading me on like, oh, there's still votes to come. But you all know, because you've had your little one-off meetings to, viol- to, to avoid a meeting, uh, 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 violating the Open Meetings Act. Now, some of you new members were not part of the land sale and didn't hear how they just totally blew over the people who lived right here. And the developers hired Sheila Cockrell to go out and have events with food and manufacture consent. I only got invited to one of those meetings. She won't answer my emails. So save all your documents, folks, because I'm going to seek an injunction and I'm going to seek damages for all the mental distress you've caused us by doing this. This is not the way to rebuild Detroit, and I think they're secretly building the rest of Detroit. And also, the the district, the youth person for the D5CAC. All right. Thank you. Uh, The last caller is Marguerite Maddox and Scarlett. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Good morning. Okay. I have some questions. Who, who is in charge of repairing or keeping up with the city home? That means, like, 
Maddox, are you are you finished? All right, Ari, are you still showing that she is on? Yes, it still shows her as unmuted. All right, Miss Maddox, are you still with us? All right, Ms. Maddox, I kindly ask if you can just submit your um, questions in writing to us or reach out to our office and we'll make sure that the department does receive um, the questions, okay? Uh, that will conclude our public comment. And if you could just really quick address the surveillance cameras on lights, poles, if there's any, and then also the issue around how many bonds the PLA has, outstanding bonds, and the audit concerns that were raised. Thank you. Uh no, there's no there's no cameras on, our, on the lights. Uh, um, bonds they were issued in 2013. Uh, the exact number I don't know. They were 30 year duration. We have a very advantageous interest rate. They were issued during the bankruptcy uh, via state legislation that authorized uh, them to capture the utility users tax directly to opt to pay for the pay for the bonds. Um, I, I don't know the exact number of them, um, but. Uh, um, Again, I think there's going to be opportunity to, to, to revisit those bonds in a, in a few years, and I, I hope we are able to meet with you guys and come up with a mutually agreed a, a way to do so. All right, and then lastly, the audit that was done for the department, um, where you guys and kind of come into compliance with some of the issues that were raised? Um, yeah, br briefly, and I'm more than willing to, to, to circle back and, and go into more depth, but uh, um, the audit took place from 2017 to 2021, I believe. It was initially um, requested by your predecessor to uh, assess times before that, but it didn't really make sense since we were doing a transition. So we really had an audit done in real time. So a lot of uh, the issues that were being raised were ones that we were raising ourselves. Um, so you know, I want to make sure that we understand that that the cause and effect issue, <laughs> we come to addressing uh, the concerns raised in the audit. Um, I think we extensively addressed all the issues in the audit, uh, issues that we we didn't necessarily agree with the finding. We did uh, um, find uh, clarification, legal clarification, so it wasn't just an opinion versus an opinion. Uh, the more operational issues, though. Um, we, we, the one major thing I think that, that came out of the audit that I can say um, was hiring Jan. Uh, one of the recommendations I think that, that, that quite frankly had merit and not to air my own dirty laundry, but um, we didn't have a, a, a CFO that was working directly for the PLA. We had an a external um, accounting firm that, that provided that function, and I think it's important for people to have skin in the game and be an actual employee when they're making such monumental decisions financially. So we brought Jan on for that role, and I think, you know, in, through her um, taking that role, a lot of the other policy, not policy, but procedural decisions in terms of segment, uh, segregation of duties, um, proper financial uh, policies in place, uh, those have been addressed through through her hiring as well. So uh, we've been more than happy to come back and, and talk individually about the audit findings. Uh, it's To me, it's pretty benign, but uh, I, I think for transparency purposes, it might make sense for us to come back and uh, have a separate meeting. All right. Thank you. Uh, Member Durhoff. 
Thank you, Madam President. Just to re respond to that, you know, and to have members of the <coughs> public note, uh, during that audit finding, uh, members of that committee uh, were very hard uh, on the public lighting authority as we went through each finding that came from the Auditor General. General. We asked a numerous amount of questions uh, and even publicly stated that we look forward to those problems being rectified. Uh, and that in the very near future, we will bring them back in front of the committee to see if they have been rectified. That being stated, though, if you have an audit last year, you also have to, to give a chance to perform so you can see where you're at and if you have made uh, and achieved those recommendations that were placed in there. So um, being the chair of the committee, it is my plan to bring uh, the Public Lighting Authority back so we can discuss where they are as opposed to where they are were uh, in fiscal year 22-23 and uh, prior years before that. Uh, but that time hasn't happened yet. We're going through the budget season now. Uh, and once we get into that, uh, I will remind members of the public, we always go uh, through <coughs> various departments uh, and revisit those audits. And so we plan to do that in this upcoming year, but we do want to give time to perform uh, or give the department time to perform and see where they are uh, and if they, if they have met uh, those recommendations. Thank you, Madam President. All right, great. Thank you. Any additional questions, comments from colleagues? Yes, Member Young. Thank you, Madam President, for your patience. And again, good to see you. I, I just wanted to just ask you guys really quickly. Um, my alley is one of the few alleys that refuse collection still occurs. It's a paved alley, but yet they turned all the lights out. And so I just want to know, why wouldn't you keep all the lights on in paved alleys where residents live on both sides of the alley? You just turned it off, actually. <laughs> I'll get it right here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, to, to answer, I don't have a, I don't have a, a scripted answer for this question. Uh, it was it, the original lighting plan didn't have any alley lights, and I think if we would have, at the time, not myself obviously, but if you go back ten years, and if we would have made an exception for your block, I got to tell you, there'd have probably been about a thousand other blocks in line. Yeah. So, yeah, we had to we had to make a, a, a decision for expediency's sake, I believe. Um, but again, I, I talked to. Uh, Council President about this issue and you know I do think it warrants us sitting down not anecdotally but more on a system-wide basis and seeing you know not going into every alley in the city and breaking the bank on millions of dollars but you know I think there may be a criteria that, that can be applied that isn't you know it doesn't have implications everywhere in the city and it can address the acute nature of, of your situation as well as um, some similar situations in other areas, but I'd be more than happy to sit down individually and talk to you about it, and you know, see if we can, you know, work something out. Yeah, no, I I, I think that'd be real good. Cause I'm not, I'm just, I'm just one out of many people that had this problem. That's what I was speaking of. In, in general. It, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like when we're talking these questions about expansion, we're talking about these questions. It seems to me that when you originally came in, it was kind of like you were the firefighter putting out this raging fire, mm -hmm. and it was like your goal was just like, just let me just put this fire out and survive the day. And then after that, once we kind of stabilize what's going on, then we can talk about expansion. Then we can talk about, am, am, am I right about that in a certain extent? Is that kind of explains why we've had this disconnect in the past? You turned it off again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, abs absolutely. If, I think if we remember back to 2013, um, 
when 40% of the lights were out and the areas of the city that they were out were, were areas on, on major thoroughfares that were causing traffic accidents. And it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a systemic issue that was, you know, making international headlines. So I think symbolically for Detroit to, to reemerge, the lights needed to come on and that couldn't have been done block by block. It needed to be done given the scale of the problem, but you are right now that we've had a chance to, to, to get the lights on um, it does warrant circling back and looking at some of the finer aspects of, of the planning process um, to see if there's any ways we can improve it. Um, and we've definitely been uh, uh, engaged with those discussions at the administrative level and more than happy to sit down with you guys as well and, uh, and talk about you know, what your requests are. I can't promise we'll do anything. I can promise that we'll, we'll lend an ear and give it consideration. No, no, I, I just remember back in the day, it was like, oh, I'm sorry, thank you, man, President. I just remember through you to... Um, PLD and uh, PLA. I just remember back in the day, it was like 40% of the lights were out. And, you know, when, like, I, I remember previously when I was in Lansing, they're talking about the authority. I remember the discussion was they were just getting certain neighborhoods were going to have lights and certain neighborhoods were not. Mm-hmm. They were talking about just like, you know, shutting some neighborhoods off completely. And then I remember once they kind of came in, it was like, we're going to have these light emitting diodes. There are going to be these brighter lights, and they're going to have them, like, depending on how long the block is, you might have one pole that's on one side and the other pole that's on the other side. But the light would be so bright that it would even provide illumination as much as possible. If it's a longer block, you have one um, light on the end of the block, uh, the other light on the end of the block, and then one light in the middle. So I, I, I remember that uh, vividly. This is my final question. Thank you, Madam President, again. I just wanted to ask you, has there been any uh, oversight coordination between public lighting and DPD at all in terms of safety and in terms of environmental design? Environment? Well, well, you know, there's like there's certain things that that in terms of crime where they saw that if you had better environmental design, so if you had like an abandoned building or something like that and they tore that down, it would be better in terms of preventing crime. Has that discussion been at all with you in, in the inclusion of lighting in that discussion? Or just has there been any coordination between you and DPD of lighting? I mean, for safety. For oh, absolutely. Well, I, I one area that I think we've worked very closely with DPD on is um, is the downtown uh, uh, lighting around Greektown when um, the youth start to come out of hibernation for the winter, so to speak. Um, that last year there was some significant um, crowds in, in and around the Greektown area. And we found that strategically placing more intense lights and some temporary lighting. Uh, additionally, we walk around to all of the parking lots and assist them in making sure their lights are on and making sure that their communication to them is there, that they're supposed to leave their lights on. We provide assistance to them and actually go fix their lights sometimes. Um, but we have installed a lot of lights in and around that area uh, to assist the police department. Um, I believe we do have uh, nodes that do shot spotter, um, so that's an it's an area that, that we assist the police. Um, in an emergency response, when when, a, when there's a vehicular accident that involves a streetlight, uh, we have a direct communication line with the police department, so we can have someone on site within 10 to 20 minutes to assess the damage and then deploy a crew as necessary. So that's essentially what we do with the police department. I don't think we get to the extent that you're you're referring to, but uh, again, if you want to sit down and talk, you know, we can go ahead and do that. Thank you, Mr. No President. Thank you, sir. Yes, Member Callaway. Yeah, you, you. Thank you, Madam Chair. You you make um, some very interesting comments, sir. What's your name in the middle? What's you your name again? Yeah, you. 
Oh, Bo? Bo Taylor? Okay, Mr. Taylor, you make some very interesting comments. I'm writing down some of them. Uh -oh. When you first um, were asked a question by the council president, you said there are broader issues with um, hiring Detroiters. I just want you to tell me, what are the broader issues that you were alluding to with, with respect to hiring Detroiters? I wrote, I wrote down exactly what you said. Um, I was referring to, um, we have our pre-apprenticeship program that is exclusively for Detroiters. Okay, and then we work informally with our contractors to hire Detroiters to ensuring that our workforce is representational. But that's not always possible because the people that we hire are uh, uh, they have a skill they have their skilled trades they need to be trained go through an apprenticeship program and it's a revolving uh, uh, placement through the local union. So we are integrating the union into this. My point was when we're not able to find a Detroiter with the proper classification or skill, what we found is that our, our contractors in spirit, not through us requiring them, have developed naturally a, a, a system where they're attracting minorities that aren't Detroiters. And I think that's you know equally important as well because there's, again, the broader issue I was speaking to was I don't think people are discriminating against people because they're Detroiters by nature. I think there's a broader uh, equity issue, and we try to look at the broader equity issue and not isolate it to Detroit residents, I think was my broader point. I hope I didn't uh, misinterpret. No, I just threw the chair. I was just asking for clarification okay. and application um, on what you said. And then you also said that youth come out of hibernation. What do you mean by that? Well. The, the spring is winter, and right. the uh, it's more of a euphemism. Um, you what know, kind of euphemism? Uh, that in the spring, people start to go out more. There's more crowds downtown. Mm -hmm. So people coming out of hibernation was more a reference to the, the spring season of when people start to congregate uh, downtown as opposed to right now when there really isn't a, a, an issue with having to provide additional lighting. And through the chair, you made another um, comment. You said something about um, lighting alleys. I'd like alleys to be lit. Um, there's safety issues. And when you made that statement, in my opinion, to, you said um, something about it being expedient. I'd rather have safety over profit and expediency, sir, because I live in this city. And I know my residents want their alleys lit. We're about to beautify them. So if we're going to beautify alleys, we have to have them lit so we can see the beauty. So I would hope we would go back to that conversation. I know you said you're going to have a sit-down conversation with Komine Young II, uh, member at large. So I'm hoping you'll have a broader conversation with the rest of us because our communities have alleys too. And we're in the process of beautifying them. And so again, if we're going to see the beauty, we have to see them with some lights. Mm -hmm. So thank you, um, Madam Chair. Thank you, sir. Welcome. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for being here. Looking forward to the continued discussions with you all and also making sure that you all respond to the various questions that have been submitted, okay? All right, thank you, colleagues. We're going to recess now until our 2 p.m. Uh, budget hearing for the city clerk. So if there's nothing else to come before us, we will stand in recess until 2 p.m. <laughs>